Hi, I'm Emily Yeston. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Doré. Hi, I'm Garance Doré, and I'm the co-founder and creative director of Doré. And for us, it's a matter of simplicity. Things aren't always what they appear from the outside looking in. I'm Kelly Kovac, founder of Beauty Matter. Businesses, like many things, are not always intended to live forever, but many live on past their expiration dates, fueled by emotion rather than rational thinking. The reality is, sometimes moving forward requires the courage to leave something else behind. Garance Doré and Emily Yeston decided it was time to leave the beautiful chaos of the media business they had built to take a break and reset, both personally and professionally. The result was a pivot to beauty and the launch of Doré. So Garance and Emily, thank you so much for joining us today. Hello, we're so excited to be here. Thank you so much, Kelly. Of course, you know, I've loved following the evolution of the business. And I'll be honest, in a previous life of owning a design and branding agency, your images landed on lots of mood boards, Garance. (laughs) (laughs) You know, it took me a while to understand that and how much it meant. This is probably one of the things that I am the most proud of, how do you say, in retrospect, of being able to create. We were just talking about that with Emily earlier. Where do you find the inspiration? How do you make this desire to create something? It's a little bit like fishing and suddenly you find a group like that and you're like, oh my God, there are so many ideas. Everything is jumping at you. And at the same time, you have an audience that's get excited. And it doesn't need to be a big audience, but what you need to feel is that surge of life and creating something new. And it was very exciting. And also it took a long time to really turn around. So meaning like from the moment where I started posting these photos and creating this kind of new language and all that to when people started telling me, oh, we see it a lot on boards, you know, in creative agencies and all that to when it finally started, I started seeing it in advertisements for big brands and things like that. And some of them hiring me to actually create those photos for them. So it was very interesting. And Thank you for mentioning that because it's a good memory for me. You know, in sort of prepping for this, I felt like there were so many kind of similarities in our journey because I've built a career off of walking away from businesses I've built for some reason. That's amazing. I actually would like to hear your story. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's for another time. This is about you. But as the internet evolved, because we're talking about you launching your blog in 2006, so kind of early days, as we've gotten more kind of connected digitally, I feel like there are less people that have these visual vocabularies that kind of date back pre what you can Google, right? Where you kind of had to assemble it yourself. And it's a skill that you create over time. And I feel like a little bit of that has been lost, but I feel like everything you do is sort of an extension of your experience and of yourself. And you have an amazing eye and you also make your personal life and sort of this French aesthetic, which isn't always the most approachable aesthetic to some of us, really approachable and warm and friendly. I'm curious how the two of you came together. I had been a fan and a reader of Garance's for a number of years before we started working together and I think had a deep appreciation for that world that she had been creating with the blog. 
in 2011, I was freelancing at a magazine and was looking for more full-time work and, you know, had been following Garance for a number of years and saw on Twitter that she was looking for an editorial assistant. And I thought, yeah, sure. I'm going to send my, my resume and why not? And so I came in to meet with her for an interview for this editorial assistant position. I just remember, I didn't realize that I was meeting with her. I thought I was meeting with her assistant and I, for whatever reason, hadn't realized that the interview was happening in their apartment. And I just remember walking in the door of this loft in Greenwich Village and Garance had like, I think just gotten out of the shower. You had wet hair. You were in like an equipment silk dress. I still remember the moment so specifically (laughs) and being like, I'm so out of my element here, like feeling totally unprepared and was like, well, I'm going to totally screw up this interview, but at least I got to meet Garance Doré. Like, how cool is that? And so we met and, you know, she asked me all these questions about if I could do X, Y, and Z and me and my, you know, false sense of confidence just sort of said yes to everything, knowing that I could figure stuff out that I didn't necessarily know. And, and I left thinking, yeah, there's no way that that is going to end up happening. And when she called me to come back and meet with her again, I was totally shocked and we've been working together ever since. So that was August of 2011. So it's been a number of years at this point. Garance, what was it in Emily? I'm sure at this point you had quite a following. I'm sure you had a lot of people sort of do the same thing Emily did. What was it that you saw in Emily? I think it's actually funny enough. It's the simplicity of how she presented herself. There wasn't an emphasis on, you know, oh my God, I love fashion and all these kind of things, which was always a little bit scary to me because I really don't have this type of approach. Yeah, as she was saying, it's it was either a total score or a total mess because she, she was like, yes, I know that. Or yes, I can figure it out. And I was like, it's either she's going to do what she says or, you know, it's going to be a mistake and that's it. But then she really showed up. And I love, there's so many things when I look back, she was just, I think, 22 and very fresh and, and very with big eyes and already this kind of very friendly face and a smile. So there was something very open like that. But I also felt like there was a sort of understanding. And I think we've grown together since then. And that's been quite a beautiful journey. She doesn't know, but I thank a lot of days. I'm like, thank you for Emily. You know, thank you for bringing Emily in my life and all that. It's quite a beautiful story, even without the business and all that. One of the hardest things, I speak from experience here, I'm like the Elizabeth Taylor of the beauty industry when it comes to business divorces, but um, (laughs) finding, finding the right founder is kind of a make or break for a lot of brands. So the fact that you have all this history together is really cool. And I'm going to jump forward to a question I had. And we'll come back. I want to come back to sort of how you launched Beauty, but I want to focus still on Emily for a moment. As you've made this transition, Emily has come out from kind of behind the scenes and has co-founded this new endeavor. And I have to imagine that was carefully thought about. And I'm curious about the strategy behind that. To me, I always wanted things to feel natural and real. And I think number one was that Emily was really ready for this because she's really taken the reins like a horse. Like, you know, she's really kind of the one that's heading this project. Launching a business is a different thing than what we did before. I think the ideas are great, but the power that you have to have behind that, it's a totally different thing than publishing. And without her, it wouldn't happen. And it would be a bit 
weird for me to just want to be the only person doing the interviews and all that. I also think she has a wonderful, interesting point of view. So for me, it was very natural. And I think it's something I've never been worried. I don't feel threatened. And I think that's something in our relationship. And maybe that's some of it is our age difference. Some of it is our skills difference and all that. I don't think either of us feel threatened. On the contrary, it feels like a beautiful collaboration in every way. So, and I think in general, I don't know, Emily, you can say, and, and you know, you can be honest, but I am not someone who feels really threatened by others in that kind of way. Yeah, I think we both share that. And for me too, it, it's always been about what's going to serve the business the best. Like that's what I really care about the most. And so I think in this context, given our different skill sets, we knew that there was opportunities for us each to be able to provide something to the conversation that was happening around the brand and that it felt like it was the right moment for, I think, me to be able to sort of take ownership of that piece of it. And so it felt very natural in that way. And it's been, yeah, it's been great. Also, I have to say that we have around Doré and what used to be Doré, a very kind of core following and everybody knows Emily. I mean, it's been a while that she's been out, but we just hadn't done many interviews together and all that. So I thought Doré was the right moment to kind of come out in that way that we've been collaborating for so long and that she's so important in my career. It was, I'll be honest, a little bit of a head scratcher for me. I'm like, okay, but this brand was built around one person and now there's this other person. And, and then when I did a little research, I was like, okay, this makes total sense. So I'm thrilled actually to have you both on. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, I think we've always been trying to be as real as we can and honest and transparent. And so it was even, I remember because Emily and I, one of our foundational kind of thing that we did was pardon my French, our show. And I remember even at that time, my thing was always showing the backstage, showing the team. There was always that. We even had a podcast for a while and uh, half of it was, you know, chats with the with our team. And all. so it was always kind of something where I didn't want to create a big separation and a projection of an idea. I wanted something to be you know, kind of englobing of everything. That's the way that I see things. But I want to go back a little to the first business, because I think you can't really tell the story of where you are now without a little reflection. But I mean, you built a blog into a sizable media company. But before COVID, you made the decision to wind it down from what appeared on the outside looking in to be sort of a significant thriving business. But now the decision looks very prescient because you had made this decision and then all of a sudden COVID hit and we were all forced to make decisions like that without necessarily wanting to. What was the driving force for this? We were just over it. I think it's important in business, as it is in like any kind of creative endeavor, to listen to the positive and the negative. You know, it's not always, I mean, I know it's easier to present, you know, oh, we're just inspired to create this beauty brand out of what we've all... But no, the truth is that, you know, we needed to go through a moment of emptiness. And actually, it's interesting because Emma and I were both on our separate, but, you know, kind of communicating like, spiritual journeys, I could say, and with moments more when we're more dedicated to that and others less. But we had, for some reason, I can't remember why, had decided to go on a silent retreat together. It's at the end of that that we decided, okay, Dorada Media is not fulfilling us in the ways that we'd like. And, you know, I just want to say that, of course, 
Doray was a sizable media, but born at the same time as us were empires like Refinery29 and Who, What, Where, and these places that have really taken root and grown and, you know, become huge companies. And we asked ourselves a question many times, but I think never did Emily and I, because she's been my collaborator for many years, and we were always talking about these things. And we never really wanted to go in that direction because we knew, because we have the experience, because we were working with advertisers and all that, we wouldn't be able to keep our soul if we were going to do that. It would be too difficult for us, whether it's a character question or just because at some point when you grow so much, you have to let go of a lot of your values and all these things. So we had kept our business in a way that felt good to us. And those were very important choices. They were not just, we couldn't do more, or we wanted to do less or whatever. It was really like, okay, we want to keep you that way. And in the same kind of trying to be authentic energy, that's when after our silent retreat, we're like, okay, the, the world has changed. Media has changed. We're not so happy with the way we're working with brands anymore. We had come full circle where People were hiring us to recreate something that we had created 10 years before, which as you know, you know, Kelly, because you've worked in that, there's nothing that can feel more exhausting than just copying yourself, basically. So that was exhausting. And you were talking about the French imagery, which is a very, it's a difficult thing to navigate because there's all these cliches. And that's also something we always try to stay away from because I was like, I don't want to be the girl with the striped t-shirt and the baguette. That's not my vision of French. And I know this can be very romantic and I love that some people are doing it. But again, the idea was to stay really close. And a few times we drifted away because of the pressures and the demands. You'll see me, you know, wearing the striped. I mean, it's an image, but you know what I mean. And, and I know that it was more and more and more difficult to say no. And because we had a team... We had like, you know, a business that needed to make money. But there was this moment where we were like, okay, we need to take a break. Yeah. And I think I have a bit of a stubborn mindset where I'm like, I'll just keep doing something until I run myself into the ground on it if I believe that it should work and we should make it happen. And I think at that retreat, you know, taking some time away from everything, but being together, even though we couldn't really communicate with each other, came out of it feeling a bit like it's not feeding us in a way that it's deserving of how much energy we're putting into it. The like output exchange and the input exchange were not matched in the way that they used to be. And we realized the things that were feeding us the most, spending time with our readers and really connecting with them more deeply and getting to know them when we tried to figure out how we monetize that and, you know, with the retreats that we were doing and things like that, what was beautiful about them was the intimacy. And we were like, well, this is not really the way that you can scale a business. And so, yeah, there was just something about our values and what we were getting out of it and the business fundamentals. And then what we were also seeing happen around us, I think, with, you know, people who had come up at the same time that we had. And it felt like a relief to say, okay, we can close this chapter and there can be something else on the other side of it. But it's good to recognize, I think, when the time has come to make a change like that and then to feel like you can let go and do something around it without it feeling like a failure, which is what I think I personally had always been very afraid of. True. And I think it was a uh, courageous, I think that's something that we have had and not to throw us our flowers, but that we just didn't know what we were going to do after. We were just like, 
this is not right anymore, let's just shut it down or Emily can explain how we did it. And we don't know what's happening later and we'll see. We want to take this opportunity to share an organization that matters to us. Packed Collective is a nonprofit on a mission to make beauty packaging more sustainable. Did you know that more than 120 billion beauty packages are produced every year, and most of them end up in landfills or in our oceans? If you're a beauty brand, supplier, or retailer, you can join them by becoming a member today. You'll get access to exclusive education and webinars, networking with other brands, and participation in PAC's hard-to-recycle packaging collection programs. Check out packcollective.org for more information. Together, we can end packaging waste in the beauty industry. I think people who are creatives, like ideas are never the problem, right? Our problem is always that there's too many ideas. I think there has been this mythology created around sort of founders and founding businesses. And the reality is most of them fail. It doesn't matter how good they are. doesn't matter whether the brand should exist. There are just things that are sometimes out of your control. Wrong business partners, not enough funding, wrong timing. And, you know, let's be honest, even when you have checked all the right boxes, sometimes the success that you're talking about, like Refinery29 and Who, What, Where, there's also a little bit of luck that goes along with it too. I think sometimes founders stick with ideas that it's time to let them go. But it is that sense of failure. I mean, you know, this is the first time I've been the face of a brand, even though I've had co-founders, I've always been kind of behind the scenes where I'm much more comfortable. Even though 20 years ago, someone, you know, Joe Horrigan from Mecca was like, Kelly, when are you just going to do your own thing? Well, I guess I'm a slow learner. But I have really amazing people around me and a partner in John Caffarelli that's kind of like Emily, the business side. But I also have a business advisor who said, Kelly, you need to focus on scaling this business. I'd rather see you scale it and try and make it as big as you can or just step away and do something else. And, you know, scale is a scary thing, I think, for creative people for all the reasons you mentioned. Yes, that's the interesting part, I think, not to jump too fast about creating something that's ours, because then you can scale whilst it's a very focused energy. Scaling when you have a media often means doing so many compromises. It's a lot of work and it's difficult and getting what you want is, you know, Emily can tell you and you probably know but I don't feel like we have to make any compromises or we choose not to make any compromises on exactly what we want to put out. And that's beautiful because definitely, I mean, you guys tell me, but like in media or maybe we were just not doing things right. I think we're on like alternate paths, right? Because I built brands for the first 20 years of my career and this media thing is totally new for me. And you did media and now you're building a beauty brand. So we kind of are the mirror reflections of each other. Definitely. Well, yes, exactly. And I'm curious how media is and how it's going to be. It's always a passion of mine for sure. So then, yeah, at that point, I feel like it's more a bit easier. I remember telling Emily, I mean, actually, I told her 
because I had a podcast and we might bring this back, by the way, for a while, like actually very early in the podcasting world, people were like, a what? But after a while, even interviewing people, I felt like I was giving the mic to all these people. And sometimes at the end of the interview, I was like, I didn't love what that person said about this. Do you have that sometimes? And then you're like, ah, so I think that was this need maybe for less of giving the mic to others and more of being like, okay, this is the vision. This is what I'm, I'm standing for and Emily's standing for it and all the rest of it. And, and the brand for that is quite lovely. So what is your vision for sort of this reboot? Well, it's not even a reboot. It feels like a clean start for this new business. You know, it's interesting. I think Emily should tell you a little bit about, because she's the one who came to me with the idea. And my theory now, because I've thought about it, is that probably she has the capacity of seeing something that I wouldn't be able to see about my world. And so one day she called me, and maybe she can tell you, she convinced me, because in the beginning I wasn't sure I wanted to do that. I was still kind of in the mourning of what our previous project had been. Yeah, I mean, COVID had happened and we felt very sort of fortunate that we had had some weird unknowing foresight to make the changes that we had been making to the business. And so we had taken it down to really kind of like an operational minimum. And we said, let's take this time to just observe what's happening and not make any decisions because it feels like no one knows what's going to come out of this and what this time will be. And so it was a very kind of strange, sleepy period for us in that way. And I think Sometimes in these moments, things come to you because you're not necessarily in the grind of the work in the way that you are before. And I remember in, I think, August of 2020, I don't know exactly where it wasn't like an aha moment of, oh, this is the thing. But at some point, you know, this idea about the French pharmacy kind of came to me through either looking at product or whatever it was. And it was like one of those things where very quickly I could just see the brand and I understood. And it was just like, oh, yeah, like this could totally be it. And I doubted myself first of like, is this really it? Could this be a thing? Can we do this? And the more that I then sort of took that and looked at, well, what are our readers really shopping for when they're looking at beauty content on the site? And what type of content has been the most relevant to them? And all of those things, this very French approach to skincare in particular was something that always felt very resonant. And it felt resonant, not just with Americans that were excited about, you know, sort of a French stereotype of the French woman, but it was something that we saw kind of traction with internationally. And I remember calling Garance and I mean, we were at the point where we were like thinking about really going our separate ways and just saying, okay, we're done. And this was a great story. And hopefully we'll find a way of reconnecting in some capacity. But I remember like looking at jobs being like, I guess this is it. I have to find something else to do. And when I called her and, and told her, I think we should do a beauty brand. And I think it should be French pharmacy inspired, but feel, you know, really modern in the way that we approach it. She also was like, I'm not sure about this. Like we both have that, that thing of self-doubt, I think of, you know, not always thinking that our ideas are the best ideas right away, but really trying to punch a lot of holes in them. And I think she similarly had that same thing where it just comes to you really quickly. And all of a sudden it, it clicks and it feels almost obvious in a way. And I think that, yeah, there was something there about how obvious it was and that of everyone in the space that it felt really authentic to who we were as well, that that made it feel like the right thing to move on. Because as we were saying, we had had so many ideas and we had thought about doing so many different things, but nothing had felt as obvious as this had felt to us when it finally kind of came in front of our purview, I guess. I mean, who is your community? How would you describe them? 
because you really have a community, unlike a lot of people who talk about community in this way where it's really just like how big it is and it's based on data, not connection. I think what we had always been so surprised by was that the readers that we were meeting, whether it was sort of online through the comment section of the blog or when we did Garance's book tour and we started to meet people that were like lined up to have their book signed or the retreats that we did was that it was a really diverse group of people that weren't necessarily obvious to be sort of a community, but there was so much substance to them and so much true authenticity. And I don't like using that word so much because I think it's become such a catchy word, but people who were very quick to be very honest with you about who they were and what they were going through. And you could feel like a deep connection right away. And I just remember being on the book tour and seeing these, you know, mostly women, but some men standing in line to get their book sign and becoming like friends and being like, oh, we're going to go out for a drink after this. And I was like, this is amazing that we are the thing, the glue that's bringing all of that together. And so that's the community. It's, it's not a specific type of person by any means that age ranges are all over the place, the ethnicities, a lot of women, definitely some men, but a lot of women. But it was just that real, I think people who were excited to be authentically connected with other women and other people. And I think Garance has been a great sort of vehicle for that and how honest she's been in her writing and the sense of humor that she's brought to it well, because there's a level of authenticity, but it doesn't always come with a heaviness or a seriousness. It's kind of playful in a way. So that's who the community is. And I'm actually really proud because some of our investors in Doré are women that are readers of the blog that we met on retreats. And when we decided to start this, we reached out to them like, hey, we're thinking about doing this. Do you know anyone that we should talk to? And they said, I'm interested. And that to me was like the most ultimate validation that we really have built something so special around us that they would feel that excited to be that invested in, in what came next for our story. Well, it's also cool because obviously investors invest to get a return on their money. And sometimes they don't understand the decisions you make as a creative or a brand founder that are kind of crucial to the DNA but can't be tied back to ROI. But when someone, when you find an investor that gets what you're doing, it's such a gift. Yeah, it's a game changer, 100%. There's just trust and there's just a level of knowing because they've been so kind of intimately connected with us for such a long time that they also were people that understood immediately what we were talking about when we started to talk about this brand, and they could see it in the same way that we did. I found it really interesting because you've chosen an incredibly competitive category, one that is it's grounded in efficacy and results and credibility. You've also launched at a time where it feels like everyone and their brother is launching a beauty brand. Actually, I think because I've been on your email list forever, and I think you sort of sent out an email or something that you were launching the brand, and I got really excited. And then it disappeared for a while, and I couldn't find anything. <laughs> and then I got the press release. And with all this noise that's happening in the beauty industry right now, it was a kind of a breath of fresh air, a brand that really felt like it had a reason to be. And also sort of a brand that was going to evolve in an interesting way. 
I mean, those were all the things that kind of came into my mind. Like, you know, this is a brand that I can see how it unfolds rather than knowing, oh, it's going to go here, then they're going to raise more money, and then they're going to go here. The, it really feels like you are on your own journey to kind of let the brand unfold. But maybe I am imposing a strategy that doesn't actually exist. Maybe I've kind of created a myth around what I want you to do, but... <laughs> no, I, th I think it's pretty accurate, actually. I think we have a very clear idea, but at the same time, we're very close to what we're doing. So we want to accompany, you know, the creativity of this project, the sense of focus that it has in the best way possible. And I think our strategies at every level are slightly different. I mean, in many interviews recently, we've been asked, oh, so what generation are you talking to? Because I think it's a thing of now, you know, oh, I, we're for Gen Z, we're for millennials, this is a brand for this and that. And our model is very different because, you know, our main inspiration is this French beauty, which is the definition of it is like, you know, it goes from mother to daughter. Those are products that are essential that you always have around you and that are so efficacious that you can use them whatever age you are. So, you know, we might at some point have some micro strategies to, you know, talk to a public that, you know, we feel needs to hear a different side of the story or whatever. But there wasn't this like push. And so I think in that way, maybe this is one of the things that people perceive us a little bit as different because we didn't come here with this very marketed strategy, but instead we have a purpose that's clear. I'm really curious about how the rise of social media and influencers, because, you know, when you were doing your first business, it was still, it was kind of pre-Instagram, Facebook. And then you had sort of this rise of social media that then spawned influencers that are now sort of like a creator economy that's worth like $105 billion. It's a career that didn't even exist a decade ago. But you know, how did that impact the business you were building? And I'm sure it has also informed what you're building now, because it feels like the antithesis of sort of these influencer brands that are launching. And you could have very easily been bucketed into that. True. Actually, we were approached a few times to create this type of brands by different investors and all that. And it's not that we had like a kind of visceral no reaction. We always looked at the ideas and, you know, we were always open to them, but they never felt like what we wanted to do. And Emily, stop me if I'm saying anything that's not real, but I think that was... And then again, there is so much I can say, and I'd love to talk about social media. It's a fascinating subject, publishing, you know, the creator industry and all these. But, you know, our focus was really in the product, in, the, you know, wanting people to share it with their loved ones, the people that they, and, and so I, I think, you know, one of the things is that's the most important. And as I get older, that's the most important in my life is the sense of trust. What we develop with people, with the ones that are, you know, the trust I have in Emily, the trust she has in me, trust we have with our team, and also the one we have with our community, the people that, you know, are going to buy our product. We want them to trust us. And Again, we can talk about social media. We do develop strategies. We're on there and all that. I really, truly believe that if you make something great, it's going to find its way. Maybe it sounds old school, but that's how I think. 
I don't think it does, G. And I think that's kind of the beauty, right, of coming into this as being a little bit of like beauty industry outsiders is that we are bringing a different sort of point of view to how this brand is being created. Like, yes, we come from the media side of things. And I also think we've taken our time to really like sit back and observe and to learn from people too. Like we've been able to see the influencer brands, the celebrity brands, the other brands that have come from media and be able to see how that space has evolved and changed. And, and I think that's how Grant started the blog as an outsider and an observer. And so we're bringing that same kind of perspective and point of view to this. And, and that was a little bit the approach, even with social media, you know, Grant, we were laughing the other day that everyone keeps talking about her as sort of like the OG influencer, which she totally is. But it's also, I think that we've been able to keep some level of distance with it. And that's what's also really nice about our partnership is I think when you're sort of in this alone, a lot of the time, it's really hard to sort of find those mirrors and have those conversations about how is this evolving? What's happening? How do we create something within this new world that we're living in? And I think through this more kind of observational outsider perspective that we've kept, we've been able to sort of stay really true to what feels like our values and sort of our core mission around this, which was not building something that would check the boxes and just sort of be another formulaic version of, I think, what we've all seen quite a bit. I mean, we both came to the saying no at first because we both felt like, do we need another beauty brand? Like the first visceral reaction was no, but then we did realize like what we're talking about there is white space there and there is something to do. And we would only do it because of that, not just because we felt like it. Like that's never been the way that we've wanted to work. And also I think coming from 2006 being projected here, we've seen the social media trends come and go. And we've seen and we know that you don't create a viral video. Things go viral without you really deciding. So the only thing you can do is do your best at sharing your message, trying to engage people. I don't believe that huge audiences are necessarily what creates engagement, you know, with your brand and all that. So there are all these things that I think it's a good time now for people and for brands in general to remember that social media is supposed to be a tool that we use and that we stop being constantly used by it. That's what I'm trying to do with my life with the brand that Emily and I are creating. And we're trying to keep that in mind because it's too easy because then your focus can definitely become on your social media more than the product you're creating. And I think that would be the same way it can be with your own life. Be like, oh, go on vacation. It's more important to take the photos than actually have a good time. The same thing can happen. And I've been very wary of that and trying to understand how to stay in control of the things we want to do and the things we do. Yeah. Do you think a bit of that also comes with being an older founder and sort of having had businesses before that, I mean, created some scale? I mean, I know I'm a very different founder now than I was 20 years ago. I'm okay with things going slow and the realization that, listen, no one's going to die because of anything we're doing. So it's fine. We'll just fix it. But I think that comes with age. <laughs> well, you know what? I think maybe that's one thing. But I know women my age and older that are really taken in the world of social media and all that. What I feel like is one of the most important impact on me was growing up and being a teen in the 90s. And that, of course, I mean, look, I know that maturity brings a new set of 
values and skills and, and all of that. But I do think that the values of the 90s were so opposite to what we're living today. And I was thinking about it. So I was thinking of all these people that I admired in the 90s, you know, even someone like Kenya Reeves, you know, people like that. And still to this day, people love them, but they're not really good on social media. You know, the values were that you don't show off all these things. And so there is a part of me that's also kind of a no person. I'm like, I don't want to do that. The reason why my name became something was also because I was like, I don't like fashion the way it is. This is how I see it. And so there is still this kind of wanting to do things our own way. And it's that's very interesting. And that's why my relationship with Emily is so powerful. It's because she completely understands that while still being of a completely different generation. She's a millennial. And so there is power in this kind of opposition in a way. But yeah, I think there's teens in the, you know, the 90s, all the values, I can, I can go over that. The idea of beauty, how it was at the time, even if you go back to, you know, Elle magazines, you know, women running on the beach for hours, literally licking the pages. And those things are very imprinted in me. So I think there is a part of that with my approach to trends in general, social media, oversharing and all the rest of it, authenticity, all these things. I honestly think that the brands that are going to have a competitive edge in the future are the ones that have diversity in their business at the decision-making level that's cross-generational, because I don't think you can build a brand focusing on one cohort. I think it's so antiquated. A number is just a number. We all live very different lives. I think that the people who can have diversity from sort of an age perspective and have relationships and conversations that don't have like an eye roll, there's a lot of power in that. There really is. I think it's very cool what you guys are building. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, I could keep talking about it forever, but I do exactly. I, I actually really, one of the things that we've always done kind of naturally is to not separate. We never said, oh, look at us, we're taking photos of older women. Never you would see that on every type of diversity. Like, and that's something we were very quietly, in our very 90s way, proud of. We've never kind of, how do you say, toot our horn about the way we were doing things. And I and, and that's why sometimes when I read these things, oh, millennials think that and, and people other... It's, it's interesting because you want to have that point of view, but this sense of opposition that's everywhere today is at the antithesis of, you know, our approach, I think, with Emily. We've kind of operated businesses within these constructs that were created. So in beauty, there's sort of this male-female binary. And it was because it made it easy for marketers and it made it easy for retailers. But all of those things have become a very antiquated way, I think, of approaching business. And I think sort of those traditional demographics seems so ridiculous to me. But, you know, we continue to chase youth and beauty, even though we say we don't. And we continue to say we care about sustainability. And yet growth is driven by newness of products we don't need. So I think we have a lot of kind of talking out of both sides of our mouth to building brands that have longevity and kind of reasons for being that exist other than sort of scaling and exiting. Well, I am so excited to have met you guys. 
And Emily, thrilled that you are part of this because I think it's a dimension that people may have not expected. But it makes perfect sense after having had this conversation. And I really can't wait to see how you guys build this brand. I think it's going to be one that really means something. And definitely, you know, keep us in the loop on what's happening. And when you're in New York, let us know. Thank you, Kelly. Thank you. Hi, I'm Garance. Hi, I'm Emily. And for us, it's a matter of simplicity because I think there's a lot of beauty in what's super simple. For Garance and Emily, it's a matter of simplicity. The yin and yang of this uber cool duo makes them a force to be reckoned with. Don't let their laid back casual vibe fool you. It's part of the brand they've built and who they are. The duo that built the go-to media platform and community grounded in Garance's status as the original influencer and an arbiter of taste is applying all that knowledge to their new beauty brand, Doré. So in the end, it's a matter of simplicity. I'm Kelly Kovac. See you next time. If you like what you heard, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. It's a Matter Of is a production of Beauty Matter. You can find more content and insights on beautymatter.com and follow us on social media.